0: All right, well go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Our focus for the, at least beginning of our foundation's year together, is on biblical priorities for young families. On how we manage our time to make sure we are Accomplishing the things that God says are most important for our lives. And some of those things that are most important are really exciting and glamorous. <laughs> Much about being a young parent is not so exciting and glamorous. And so sometimes it's, it's forcing ourselves to continue to do that which is mundane and doesn't seem like it's uh, as critical. Uh, sometimes it's, it's setting aside all the things that the world says matter most. Uh, but before we get into the specific details of life, and what some of those priorities are for us that the Bible clearly lays out, we want to think first about the direction of our life, about the overall uh, purpose that God has given us and We started this last time in matthew twenty two looking at uh, two of the, the the two great commandments that Jesus highlights for us that, uh, uh, that really um, give us a, a grid and a framework for how to think about our lives, for how to think about the primary purposes of our life. And again, we could, we could look at that from a number of different angles biblically, uh, but I think this gives us uh, a great framework to think about what we should be pursuing. And, and so in Matthew chapter 22, we saw last week that a, uh, a lawyer came up to Jesus in verse 36 and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. We were reminded last time that the chief purpose that we are to be focused on in our life, above all else is loving God, to be devoted to and consumed with him in every aspect of our life. You know, we can, we can manage our schedule meticulously and yet if we are not doing so out of a desire to please the Lord, to honor him, to be like him, we are, have, have missed the mark. And, and we talked about why we should love God because of who he is, because of all that he has done for us and, and what it looks like to love God, to delight in him, to obey him, to pursue likeness to him, to proclaim him, to live for his glory. And so regardless of the task you accomplish today or didn't accomplish today, regardless of what you have scheduled for tomorrow or what you expect next week to look like, your life is to be characterized by loving God, by being devoted to him above all else and Tonight we come to the the second component of the direction of our lives. When you think about, what am I going to do today? (laughs) It ought to be, I'm going to love God today. I'm going to live for him and his glory. And secondly, it ought to be loving others. Jesus continued in verse 39 and said, The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus says these two things, loving God and loving others, loving our neighbor, all the other commands hang on those. Everything else comes back to those two commands, those two principles. And so tonight we want to think about loving others and the importance of that in our lives. Now, this is a a quote from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19. Jesus has actually uh, already used this verse several times in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll look at a couple of those accounts in a bit, but I I want us to begin by thinking first about the significance of loving others. The significance of loving others. Notice how Jesus began in verse 39, and he said, the second is like it. Now, Jesus answered more than this guy asked. Sometimes as parents, we do that. Our kids ask us one thing, and we think what you really need to know is more than that. I'm glad you asked, and I'll I'll fill in some more details for you. That's what Jesus is doing. He says, the first command that you ask about is to love God, but there's a second one. Now, we're tempted to look at that and say, well, he's kind of saying it's the second one. It's kind of second place. But the question was, what matters? What's the great commandment? And so Jesus is not minimizing this command when he says the second is like it. He's really elevating it to say, hey, this is also very, very important. Now it is second, and so it's not as critical as loving God. It's not of the same foundational nature as loving and being consumed with Christ, but it is foundational and fundamental for us. Love for God is first, but this second command uh, flows from that. In fact, if, you, if we were to take the time and look over at uh, passages like 1 John four twenty and 21, we won't take the time to look at it tonight, but it, it speaks about how you can't say legitimately, I love God and yet hate other people. He, he says you know, those two things go hand in hand. <laughs> So it's true that, uh, that you, you cannot love others without loving God, but it's also true you can't love God without loving others. In fact, you're, you're probably familiar with, the, with 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter, you know, the, the description of what biblical godly love looks like. And, and that chapter begins in this way. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me Nothing. Paul says, you can do all the right things, and if it does not flow from a heart of love, first and foremost for God, and flowing out of that for other people, you have really done nothing. You know, that's the danger of focusing a series on what we should be doing, (laughs) We need to do those things, but we cannot ever think that just because we are doing the right things that we are all that God intends for us. We, we need to do the right things, but they must flow out of a heart that says, I, I love God, I love Christ for what he's done. I long to see him exalted in my life, and I love others because that is what God calls me to. That's how God has treated me. So you guys, loving others Matters. It mattered to Jesus. It mattered to God as he orchestrated the commands and and what our life should be characterized by. Loving others matters. But Jesus doesn't just say this matters in principle. He gives us some details about this in this verse. And so secondly, let's think about the scope of loving others. I, I could ask you tonight to list people you love, and there's probably a number that would easily go on that list. It may be a different list today than it was yesterday because of how your day went. Um, but there are those that you think, oh yes, those are ones I just love. Um, you know, if you if you have young children, there are days where you think, oh, they're so cute and I just want to be with them. And then there are days where you think the opposite of that. And you don't want to be with them. But the the, the scriptures here Jesus gives us the the description of who should we love. And he says this, you shall love your neighbor. Now, the common thinking for a Jew listening to this would be to nod an affirmation to say, yes, we should love our neighbor. And technically, that word does include, like we think of, those who are in close proximity to you in those ways. But the Jews would would use that not so much to say, oh, we should love more people, but they would use that to say, we only have to love our neighbor. (laughs) There's others we don't have to love. And so, yes, we will love our neighbor. We just won't love all these other people that we think of outside that category. This was particularly true of of Jews and Gentiles. They thought our neighbor is Jews and, and those who are outside that are not our neighbor. If you flip back to Matthew 5, Jesus referred to this verse there and he confronted this idea that was prominent that this command kind of narrowed the scope of who we were to love and he gave what was their common interpretation or perspective in verse 43 Matthew 5:43 the sermon on the mount Jesus said you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor you see that's a quote from the old testament leviticus uh, and then he, say, he adds in, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was how the Jews thought of this. They said, well, if we're to love our neighbor, that narrows who we're to love, and everybody else we can hate. <laughs> Works out well for us. And Jesus said, no, that's what you've heard. That's what you're used to thinking. But he says, I say to you, love your enemies. <laughs> he says, no, your neighbor... Does not give you an excuse to not love others. It is comprehensive. It is everybody that you come across and everyone that you interact with that you are to love. Certainly, if we are to love our enemies, we are to love everybody else in that spectrum that might come to mind. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan in, in Luke chapter 10. When one of the uh, uh, lawyers, again, says this, wishing to justify himself after Jesus had described this requirement of the law to love your neighbor, he wanted to justify himself. And so he said, and who is my neighbor? (laughs) That's the key question, to justify himself. If you just tell me the few people I'm supposed to love, I'll do that. And so what did Jesus do? He told him the the parable about the man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and he gave the example of of first a priest who was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and then a Levite was going down on a journey and and, uh, came to that place and saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on his journey came, and when he saw him, felt compassion and bandaged his wounds and poured oil on them and, and took care of him. And Jesus said to him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to this man? Jesus didn't really even answer the question, who is your neighbor? He said, who is being a neighbor in this? Jesus' point was, it's not to narrow who we love. (laughs) It's to say everybody that we come into contact with, everybody that we interact with, is to be uh, a recipient of our neighborly love. (laughs) Now, does that mean that we demonstrate love equally to all people? <laughs> that we need to feel the weight of responsibility to say, I need to, to display love equally to all people. Well, Debbie just provided a meal to all of us, and we are thankful for that. Um, But we don't all typically provide a meal for a group of 80 people every night, do we? Like my wife doesn't make dinner for our entire neighborhood every night. She shows special love and care for her family and for uh, for those that are, are closest to her. So it's not wrong that we don't display love equally to every person in our life. Titus 2 highlights for women the priority of loving their husbands and loving their children. And so it doesn't get demonstrated equally, but we can easily neglect loving those who are outside our primary sphere if we're not intentional. We can be like that priest and that Levite who just passed by on the other side because we have other things that we're doing or other priorities that we are, are pursuing and miss opportunities that God gives us to love others, Jesus says, love your neighbor. Not just the ones you like, not the ones who love you in return, Matthew 5 goes on to say, but love even those who are our enemies, those that the Lord brings into our life. Well, back in Matthew 22, we see thirdly, not only the significance of loving others and the scope of loving others, but the standard of loving others. Notice how Jesus says we are to love. He says, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> should think about that. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some have, have read into this, particularly when, uh, um, when self-esteem was, was very much something that was prevalent in our culture. Some have read into this, a command to love yourself more. To say you, you need to be loving yourself. Well, that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not commanding us to love ourselves. Rather, he's assuming you already do. <laughs> and there's a difference in that. It's not that you're commanded to say oh, you need to cultivate more love for yourself. No, he says the reality is you already love yourself. <laughs> now you've got to cultivate uh, a love for others in that way. It presupposes a love for for yourself, It assumes you already do. It's kind of like in Ephesians 5, speaking to husbands. Paul says, "...husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church." Uh, I, I doubt that any of you walked over to get dessert tonight and you looked and you thought, what's the nastiest looking dessert here tonight? That's the one I'm going to take. No, you walked over and you said, what well, looks good to me? And you took it. You looked at the chips and you thought, hey, I like this kind, and you took it. A- and we inherently care for ourselves in that way. We inherently are aware of the things that we need. Doesn't mean we can always get them uh, or we always should, but we, we tend to meet the needs that we have. We rightly care to, uh, for ourselves to a degree and God intends it to be that way. He made us to, to care for ourselves in that way, designed us in that way. But we, we as sinful creatures tend to care too much about ourselves because we are selfish. <laughs> we see that in Philippians 2, 3 and 4 where again Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Again, he he assumes and implies that you're going to look out for your own personal interests because that's what we do. But he says you have to intentionally cultivate a mindset that cares more about others, that cares as much about others as you care about yourself. Philippians 2 would say we must actively consider others more important than ourselves. It's like a calculation. It's actively saying when I'm going to evaluate this I'm going to be sure to think about others as more important than me. I'm not simply going to look out for my interests. I'm going to actively be thinking about the interests of others. So Jesus says the standard is love others the way you love yourself. The way you think about your needs. The way you are quick to meet your own needs. The way you're quick to look out for your own personal interests. Think that way, not about yourself only, but think that way about others and be willing to to sacrifice your own desires and interests for the good and blessing of others. Again, not to the exclusion of caring for yourself, Doesn't mean you run yourself ragged, always doing things for other people and you never do the things that you need, like rest and, and things to care for yourself. No, you, you do have to uh, continue to, to care for yourself, but you do so with an, a, a goal and a desire to bless others. You know, other scriptures raise the standard even higher than the love that we have for ourselves. And they remind us that not only are we to love others as we love ourselves, but we are to love others as we have been loved by Christ. You know, specifically speaking to husbands, in Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives. And he goes on to talk about how we are to cherish them like we do our own bodies. But he says, initially, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you think it's a high standard to love others the way you love yourself? Think about the love that Christ has shown for you and that love being demonstrated to others. The sacrificial desire for the good of others that Christ displayed towards you and displaying that same sacrificial love for others desiring their best. So we see the the scope of our love is, is all those the Lord brings into our paths, our neighbor. Even those that we could legitimately classify as our enemies. And, and we see the standard of love is the way that we love ourselves and the way that Christ has loved us. And then lastly, the specifics of loving others. What does it look like to love others? Well, notice how Jesus concludes This section, verse 40, he says, on these two commandments depend or hang the whole law and the prophets. Jesus says every other command in scripture legitimately hangs from these two ideas of loving God and loving your neighbor. And so I think we can legitimately say everything in our life ought to legitimately hang from those two ideas of loving God and loving others, loving our neighbor. He says all of the rest of the commands can be hung to those. If you think of the Ten Commandments, the first four hang on that loving God uh, command. The second, uh, the the next six, hang more on the loving others. And then from there, everything else filters down. That's why in, in verses like Galatians 5 uh, 14, 13 and 14 Paul says that we were called to freedom but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in one statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself it, says that it can all be summarized that way or well, Romans 13 go ahead and turn to Romans 13 briefly Uh, Romans 13, verse 8 and following, Paul says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. He says, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says you can take any command, and, uh, especially those related to dealings with other people, and you can sum it up as you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 10 he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. He says every other command is summed up in this, <laughs> love your neighbor as as yourself, It doesn't mean we don't need the other commands. Obviously, God gave us more commands than that because he wanted us to know practically and specifically what does it look like to love my neighbor in various situations. And he says the overarching principle of many of those commands is things we will not do to others if we love them. He says you will do no wrong to a neighbor if you love are loving them as yourself. You won't murder them, you won't steal from them, you won't lie about them or slander them, you won't uh, covet their things if you love them. He says in many ways you don't even have to have that specific list of things you won't do, although it's helpful, but you need to love them and therefore not do harm to them. Treat them, as he says in Matthew 7, the way you want to be treated, the way you would treat yourself. You love them in those ways. But it's not just a negative, don't do things to others. If you love people, you won't do things. It's also a, a positive, doing good to them, sacrificially giving of yourself. 1 John 3 says this, we know, verse 16, we know love by this. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. That passage doesn't say anything about doing wrong to other people. It says if you don't do good to them, in this case, meeting their physical needs, you haven't loved them. And so have you loved someone who is in need if you simply don't steal from them or you don't slander them? No, you, you have not uh, done wrong to them, but you must also seek to meet the needs of that person. Again, if you think of that parable of the Samaritan that Jesus told, the first two guys who walked by on that road, did they do anything wrong to that person? Did they walk by and kick them again while they were down? No. They just ignored them and did not do something that was needed and something that would be helpful and caring. So you cannot say, I cannot say I love others because I never do anything bad to them. That's part of it. But it also means I must actively be doing good. Again, does that mean that we should feel the weight of responsibility to do good to all people everywhere? That's not a a realistic expectation for any of us. And God's not wanting us to feel a level of, of guilt for things that are impossible for us to fulfill. What he is saying is there are opportunities that the Lord brings into our life. And we need to be faithful to give of ourselves for others not to be so absorbed in our own life, and our own world that we do not seek to care for those that God has brought to us. So what's tomorrow gonna look like for you? What's your schedule? What all do you have planned? I don't know. We're gonna talk about things that ought to be a part of those things and things that we ought to be striving to make a priority. But the big picture is we ought to say, when I get up tomorrow, I'm gonna be loving God. And I'm going to be looking for opportunities to love others, to be careful that I don't do wrong to them, but also that I am faithful to do good to them, that I am sacrificing myself for the good of others. Again, biblically, these commands are specifically applied in various relationships in different ways. And so for husbands in this room, a chief application of loving your neighbor is loving who? Your wife. For wives in this room, a chief application is loving your husband. For parents in this room, a chief application is loving our children. And we'll talk more about those things. But it starts with that fundamental heart that says, I love God. He is my all because of who he is and what he has done because of Christ's sacrifice on my behalf. I love him because he first loved me. And flowing from that is a eager love for others. Not simply those who love me back. Not simply those who I benefit from, but any that the Lord brings across my path. I am committed to love my neighbor as myself. Again, we wanna think more specifically, and thankfully, all the other commands of scripture hang off of those and give us more details. So if you say, man, I really wanna love others and love my neighbor, but what does that look like in the particular context and stage of life that I'm in right now? We're gonna talk more about that. Because the Bible does flesh this out for us, but we can't take those ideas and separate them from the big principle of loving God and loving others. You know, as we, as we work through this series, I, I don't want us just to hear and go away and think that we're doing what we're doing because we've heard. We need to take time to think and consider. And so on the back of your handout is, is a question that I want you to take just a couple minutes. You may not finish it, but to begin a conversation with your spouse, as you think about the overall direction of your life, what it is that your primary purpose is for life, in your own words, not just saying we want to love God and love others. That's cheating. But fleshing that out in a sentence or two. Talk about and write out what is, your, the, what is, uh, is the direction of or the purpose for your life.